make sure everything's turned on. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at LOPC. And how are you liking our March weather when it gets cold like this? Oh. Are you all fans of what 43 degrees or whatever, no. whatever it is outside? No. I thought to myself, it was finally getting ready for golf season. And I'm like, I guess not yet. But it's warm in here. We're thrilled you've chosen to join us for worship this morning. If you are a first-time visitor here this morning, we are thrilled you've chosen to worship with us. We hope as you came in, you were greeted in a friendly manner. See, I will add that. Greeted in a friendly manner and given one of our wonderful bags of swag that gives you some information about the church, some wonderful tumblers. Everything we do, we try to be relational. We want to build relationship and friendship with you, with you all. So we hope that your experience is a warm and wonderful one as we worship the Lord together. And for all of you, there should be friendship pads on the end of the aisle. So if you're sitting on the end of the aisle, get them started, pass that down, and that lets us know that you are here. This is a very, very exciting morning. We're going to be a little extra Presbyterian this morning. Now, here, here's what I mean by that. We are installing Mike Palumbo as our assistant pastor this morning during the worship service. And so we welcome Josh Garrett with us from the Central Georgia Presbytery. He will be participating in this along with our ruling elders. We form what's called a commission of the... Pre See, you're learning more Presbyterian jargon than you ever thought you would learn. We form what is called a Commission of the Central Georgia Presbytery, and it is our responsibility officially to install Mike as our assistant pastor. Here's what you want to know. This is a very exciting day. This is, we rejoice in the Lord, that the Lord is adding to our staff team, our pastoral team. This is very exciting for our uh, ministering the gospel, which is what we're called to do, making disciples of all nations. To the Lake Oconee area. Now, after the service, we originally were going to do this down in the pavilion. I think it's a little too warm for that. What, don't you think, 43? <laughs> you know, we can't handle the hot temperatures. So we decided to move our reception for Mike and Whitney and Ellie down to rooms 110 to 112, which means go left when you get out to the narthex, keep walking, and make a hundred different turns, and you'll find it. Smell the cake and you will find the food or follow the crowd. But we hope you can join us for a brief reception, a time to 
Greet Mike and Whitney and Ellie. Love them. Celebrate with them. This is a time of celebration. As we uh, look at a couple different announcements, we are moving towards Holy Week and Easter, and so we need volunteers to help with the Easter brunch, and so see Brent and Carol Johansson with that, or there's a sign-up sheet out on the table. On Good Friday, here's the schedule for Holy Week. Thursday evening at 7 o'clock, we will have our Monday Thursday communion service. Friday at noon, we have a Good Friday service that lasts from noon till it'll finish just before 1, where we'll be reflecting on the cross of Christ. Then at 4 o'clock that day, we are having a children's and family event from 4 to 7, family movie night. And so we're going to have all sorts of fun with an Easter egg hunt, bouncy house, pizza. I even hear a rumor the Kona ice truck will be here. Um, that's a rumor at this point, but I think, you know, we'll confirm that soon. Here's where we need your help. When you go out to the children's table in the narthex, you see a board, and on that board is post-it notes. We need to have you pick up one of the post-it notes that tells what you can bring. It may say something like, however many napkins, or eggs. You do need eggs for an egg hunt, I think. Pick one of those post-it notes and bring that. If you have any questions regarding that, please see Ellen, and we'd appreciate that. So now, as the prelude is played, let's prepare our hearts for worship this morning.
psalmist in Psalm 118 says, this is the day the Lord has made. Then very interesting, he says, let us, not just let me, let us rejoice and be glad in it. That means, friends, we as a family, we as a covenant body, we as his people are called to rejoice in the Lord and celebrate his love and his resurrection. Our call to worship is from Isaiah chapter 55. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Father, we are all thirsty. We thirst for so many things. We thirst for meaning. We thirst for hope. We thirst for significance. We thirst for love. Lord, your word tells us, come to the waters, and Jesus is the living water. And we who have no money, we have nothing to offer. We have nothing to bring to the table. But you say, come buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why? Because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you welcome us, you receive us. And so now as we respond by saying thank you, we praise you, we love you, we worship you, join with us that you would be glorified and exalted through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing together, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. confession this morning comes from Isaiah 55, verse 2, and right after Isaiah has delivered this call to worship, this invitation to come to the waters and drink, he asks this question, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. 
Friends, there may be no more significant question than that in our Christian journey, in our Christian life, in our walking with and living with Jesus Christ. And that is, why do we spend our money? In other words, why do you spend your resources? Why do you work so hard for that which does not satisfy? So, for example, when we have God's full approval, complete welcome, total love, why do we spend our money looking for the approval of others? When we have God who knows his sovereign plan over us is a good plan, for I know the plans I have for you, he says, why do we spend so much of our resources trying to control everything, including God? Now, those are just a couple of examples. I take them from my life. Now, what is it for you? Take a few moments and engage with the Lord, knowing that he still gives that invitation, come everyone who thirsts. He and he alone satisfy. In a few moments, I will lead us in and we will pray our prayer of confession together. Let's pray. Let us pray together. God of grace and truth, in Jesus Christ you came among us as light shining in darkness. We confess that we have not welcomed the light or trusted good news to be good. We have closed our eyes to glory in our midst, expecting little and hoping for less. Forgive our doubt and renew our hope so that we may receive the fullness of your grace and live in the truth of Christ the Lord. Amen. Isaiah continues in our assurance of pardon, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And you know, it's right after this particular passage that Isaiah says, for your thoughts are not my thoughts and your ways are not my ways. And so often we take that out of context. We assume, you know, something didn't go right in our lives and we go, oh, okay, I don't understand God. His thoughts are not my thoughts. Really what this is saying in context is he is a God who abundantly pardons. And that makes zero sense to us for God's ways are not our ways. We don't forgive in life, but God forgives in life. We typically live on performance. God lives on abundant grace. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His way is completely 
a way of grace. Oh, my friends, that we would be a church that is absolutely consumed with the gospel of grace. Let's sing How Deep the Father's Love for Us. go to the Lord in a time of prayer, I want you to think about something for a second. It's not every week that I quote from the little epistle of Jude, one chapter, 20 some odd verses, but in Jude, I don't even get to say chapter, Jude 21, it says this, keep yourselves in the love of God. Gee, it's funny how I don't see ever culture wars about how to obey that command. 
and yet it's a command. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And I think sometimes that's the very thing we struggle the most to do. How deep the Father's love for us. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. As we go to the Lord in prayer, we are invited to commune with this God who loves us this deeply. We'll pray together the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in our pastoral prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, thank you for being our Father. Our King, our lover, our shepherd, our delight, our protector, our provider, our guide, the one who leads us. Lord, I pray that we would hear your voice as you promise in the scriptures. The sheep know me and the sheep hear my voice. May we hear the voice of our shepherd, Jesus, leading and guiding us. And we thank you that we have heard your voice leading us to calling Mike and Whitney and Ellie to be here with us. Lord, we thank you for their lives. We thank you for your love for them. We thank you above all things that they are part of your treasured possession, that they are your children. And Lord, we thank you that you have called Mike to be our assistant pastor. And we pray for the installation this morning. We pray that it would be a time where we worship you, where we glorify you, where we celebrate what you have done and are doing in Mike's life and Whitney and Ellie's lives and in the lives of LOPC, because this is significant for all of us. And we pray, Father, for the vision of the church. We pray that you would use us. You, we recognize we don't build your kingdom. You are building your kingdom. But you choose to use us. And I pray, Father, that you would use us in doing what you're doing here at Lake Oconee that you would bring many to yourself, many from death to life, that you, as you promise you in your word you're doing, as you are reconciling all things to yourself, that not only we, but Lake Oconee would be reconciled to you spiritually, physically, relationally, culturally, in every way imaginable, that we will not just be a church that lives in the community, but we would be a church of the community. We'd be a part of this community. And we ask that you would anoint and equip Mike to help lead us in this direction. We pray, Father, for all of us as a staff team that we would work for this. We pray for this as a congregation that we would support this. We pray that you would renew us, breathe life. I think of the picture you gave Ezekiel of the valley of dry bones. And you told Ezekiel, breathe. I pray, Holy Spirit, you will breathe life into us and revive us and renew us 
even if it creates a mess around us, may we be okay with that mess because we see you at work. We recognize it's not about us. It's about you and your glory. And so, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you were doing. And we pray that in all things we would remember that the kingdom and the power and the glory belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
have to admit I am a combination of excited and nervous this morning. Excited, obviously, because our good friend Mike is being installed as our assistant pastor. I'm excited because I think these are exciting days for LOPC. I'm excited for what the Lord is doing. And that always breeds a little bit of nervousness because there's a bit of adventure to it. You know, we live by faith. That means God doesn't always reveal this is exactly what will happen. There's kind of adventure to it. And I'm nervous. So when Mike and I were looking at the service together and we were kind of going, what should we preach on for an installation sermon, so to speak, or as the book of church order likes to put it, a sermon appropriate to the, you know, there's more formal Presbyterian language for you. We were begun, I was beginning this series on encountering Jesus, kind of our Lenten series. And I knew exactly where I'd be landing this morning. And this is also my invitation for you to turn in your Bibles. The parable of the prodigal. Now listen carefully to my English grammar. Sons. Not son, sons. There's two prodigals, and we're going to see them in just a minute. So Luke chapter 15 if you're wanting to know, does Jeff know what he's doing and where he's going? Yes. We're looking at Luke 15. And then I discovered, or then I thought to myself, we thought, Mike and I talked, the perfect passage for an installation sermon. And then it dawned on me, oh my goodness, this is kind of the passage that Tim Keller wrote his first book on and has done all of this stuff. And as a matter of fact, just to give you a little bit of history, Back in 1999, Tim Keller and his mentor, who was one of the presidents of the seminary that I went to, Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, Ed Clowney, did a doctoral class at Reformed Seminary in Orlando that I happened to be in that class when Tim preached the sermon on this text for the very first time. And now I'm thinking to myself, I should just tell you, go get the book and read the book. That there's, I'm not sure how much I can add to it. But you know what? We're going to dive into it. We're going to have some fun. It is a phenomenal passage, and it is very much appropriate for what we're doing today because it is probably, I think, one of the clearest expositions of the gospel of grace that you see in the scriptures. So turn in your Bibles, Luke chapter 15. I'll read just for context, verses 1 and 2. And then the narrative, the story, it's a little lengthy, so bear with me, verses 11 to 32. Here's the context. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. That means the lowest of the low, the down and outs, the outcasts and the marginalized, they're always attracted to Jesus. But the Pharisees and the scribes, that means kind of the morality police, the doctrine police, the religious order of the day, they grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 11, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, 
who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for inspiring your word and putting it in your scripture that is useful for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking us, for changing us, and for training us in righteousness. And I pray, Father, that you would, I just leave it to you and ask that Holy Spirit, you would work to transform our hearts and give us a deeper, maybe even more astonishing view and understanding of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been looking at, over these last weeks, the theme of encountering Jesus, encountering the real Jesus. And this morning, we're looking at one of the most famous and well-known stories that Jesus ever told, the parable of the two lost sons and the incredible, extravagant, maybe you might even say offensive, love of the Father. Encountering love. In this story, the love of God is depicted as a party, as a feast, as a celebration. I mean, were you paying attention when I read the words? The father threw his arms around his lost son, who's been found. He hugged him, he embraced him, he kissed him. Over-the-top, extravagant love. Now, let's be honest with ourselves. Are we maybe a little uncomfortable with that kind of love? Are we maybe a little bit uncomfortable with that kind of over-the-top extravagant love, especially from God? A love that does not hold back. How comfortable are you with living with that kind of love? 
writer by the name of Henry Nouwen, writing on this particular story, says of this kind of love that it is our home, the center of our being. So let's take a look at this story, a story that is too often sentimentalized and thus loses its power, loses its transformative power, because this is a transforming story that blows away all human categories, blows away all paradigms for understanding who we are and who God is. And let's look at it and ask the text two questions. Who is this love given to, and what does this love look like? Okay, let's look at verses 1 and 2. Here's why I put this in for the reading, the context of the story. Luke 15 begins, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with him. Well, I said at the beginning, you can't do better than Tim Keller. So listen to this quote from Tim Keller's book, Prodigal God. He says, self-righteousness is the cause of spiritually stagnant churches. While Jesus attracted outsiders and offended insiders, churches today tend to do the opposite. The moralistic, self-righteous people know they need to be in church, but the broken and margin marginalized don't feel welcome. That can mean only one thing. We must not be preaching the message of Jesus. We must not be preaching the same message Jesus did in Luke 15. We've become like the elder brother. He writes, there is no more perfect and no more wonderful story that gives us the whole meaning of the gospel than this. If there is no dance, if there is no music, if there is no joy in your life, it's because either like the prodigal, you're letting your badness get in the way of God, or like the Pharisee, you're letting your goodness get in the way. You're trying to control him one way or the other. I don't care how religious you are. If there's no joy, no music, no dance, you still don't get it. That quick story, you know who gets it in my life? My little puppy Maggie. You've not heard a Maggie story in a few weeks. You need to hear a Maggie story. Maggie turns five months old this week. Okay? And Maggie, all she knows, sometimes she knows trouble and she can create messes, but she knows music, dance, and joy. At 5.30 in the morning, after I think Evie's already been up six, eight times with her through the night, I get up and I'm ready to... I get up in the morning and, you know, I'm kind of like, yes, this is the day the Lord has made. Okay, let us. And I'm trying to find my way to the coffee pot. Maggie gets up and she comes up and that tail never stops. Her whole little 12-pound body is shaking. I take her outside and it doesn't matter like this morning if it's 31 degrees or not. She is running. She is jumping. She is... Friends, that to me is a picture, and it convicts me to the core of the music and the joy and the dance of the gospel. And it's a music and a joy and a dance we too often have. Friends, hear this, because here's the reason. We are self-righteous. Don't assume you're not, because every human being is. You either have younger brother self-righteousness, or older brother of righteousness. 
And here's the truth. Jesus says, most of us are both. Everyone is a prodigal or a Pharisee, and we are usually both. We tend to slip in and out from one to the other. So Jesus begins, there's a man who had two sons. He tells the basic story. And the younger of them, this is who is this love given to, who is this love shown to, says to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And the father, kind of astonishingly and unbelievingly, says, sure. He goes ahead and he does it. He divides his property between them. Then not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields, ironically, because remember, this is a Jewish young man, to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with young hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Now, commentators on this passage point out that Luke just tells this story very matter-of-factly. So much so that it's difficult to realize fully what is happening here, that this would be an absolutely unheard of event. There's a scholar by the name of Kenneth Bailey who lived in the Middle East, and he writes of this sort of thing, revealing who this extravagant love is given to. He writes, for over 15 years, I've been asking people of all walks of life, from Morocco to India, from Turkey to the Sudan, about the implications of a son's request for his inheritance while the father is still living. The answer has always been emphatically the same. Conversation runs as follows. Has anyone ever made such a request in your village? Never. Could anyone ever make such a request? Impossible. If anyone ever did, what would happen? His father would beat him and crush him, of course. Why? The request means he wants his father to die. We need to understand that sin is essentially relational. We are so used to sin being about behavior and performance. Sin is, did I commit this sexual sin? Did I do this error? Did I do this... But sin fundamentally is a comportment or an attitude of the heart that begins with, I will make life work on my own, I will turn away from God, I will be independent from God, and I will control my own life. The prodigal here, and this is the obvious, the prodigal is running from God in order to control his own life. Now, we see that around us in all sorts of ways, and obviously. We see that in sexual sin. We see that in relational sin. We see that in, that's the wine, women, and song, eat, drink, and be merry type of sin, the red light district, if you would. We see that. That's easy to find. But we need to recognize that there's a second person that love is given to here, and it's the elder brother. 
See, after the younger son returns home, we see the reaction of the elder brother. See, he has, even though he is still physically at home, he never left home physically. Oh, he left home. He left the heart of God. He left the home of his father's love. He may never miss church, but he's never truly with God. See, and even when the text, look at the text, he says, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Well, there's the first problem for the elder brother. Why am I hearing music and dancing? And he called one of the servants, and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. And I got to tell you, that's one of the most convicting parts of the passage for me, because look at the father. See, I want to be an elder brother to elder brothers. But the father here loves both his sons. This is extravagant over the top love. And he is entreating his older son. He's imploring him. The party's for him as well. Won't you come in? And here's one of the saddest parts of the story. He answers his father. He says, look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Okay? Heart's deceitful above all things, I think. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. See, we said at the beginning of the sermon that we are all both, and we kind of move in and out of being prodigals and older brothers. The prodigal sin is obvious. But what are the characteristics of the older brother? Well, in general, he's bitter. He's resentful. He's angry. He refused to go into the party. So he, as much as the younger brother, as much as the prodigal, humiliated his father. See, the younger brother humiliated his father in a very obvious way. Dad, I want you dead. That's pretty obvious. But here he's humiliating his father by publicly making a scene. His father has a vision that he would love his children and they would be brought in. And instead, the elder brother judges the father. See, let's ask a question. Let's ask a searching question. Let's say we start reaching out to Lake Oconee. Let's say Mike really starts leading our outreach charges and our small groups and our Sunday schools. We start reaching people, but they all don't look like us. They're different in some way, shape, or form. Maybe they're from the down and out. Maybe they are from a different community than we like. Maybe they're different from us. But they start coming in. They're interested. We don't even know if they're committed to Christ yet, but they're interested. They're showing interest. What is our attitude? Not just what we say. What is our comportment? Are our arms open or are we starting to go, who's coming into our church? Where theology 101, this is not our church. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. This is his church. He has a mission. 
he has a vision. Not my vision. It's not my mission. God is reconciling all things to himself. We are his instruments. We need to be willing. Before we say no so quickly, we have to recognize how easy it is for us to go, where is my party? Where is my fattened calf? Nobody's killing the fattened calf. And what is the Father saying to us? All that I have is yours. Everything is yours. So these are the recipients of the Father's love. Look around us. We are the recipients of the Father's love. And friends, we're not all that pretty. Even if we may look and say, oh, yes, we're the pretty people. No, we're not. God is not interested in good or pretty people because, let me tell you something, they don't exist. There is no such thing as a good person. But the Father still extends extravagant, over-the-top love. Now, what does this love look like? Look at verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, recognize those words. While he was a long way off, his father saw him. What does that mean about the father? That means he was always searching for him. Friends, do you realize that long before you ever became a Christian, long before you ever and even if you were a covenant child that never remembers a time where you didn't believe in Jesus, long before you were ever born, God, your Father, was searching for you, was looking for you, knew you, and saw you. That's why Jude's command, keep yourselves in the love of God, is the hardest command you will ever try to keep. Because it is radical. While he was still a long way off, his Father saw him and felt compassion. What kind of God is this? No wonder this is a God whose thoughts are not our thoughts and whose ways are not our ways. And then he ran. Really? A Jewish Middle Eastern father, you know what he would have had to have done to run? The closing, he doesn't do smart casual, by the way. He would have the long gown on with the sandals. He would have had to have hiked up his gown to run after his son. This was a love that was not interested in how he looked. This was a love that was interested in only the other person. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is where it's not a perfect repentance. It's the start of repentance. But was he ever worthy to be called his son? I'm no longer. The son's gone, well, I once was, but I'm no longer. No, you never were. It was always of grace. But the father said to his servant, almost like, ignore the speech. Bring me the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. By the way, do you know this is the father's attitude every time we come to the Lord's table? Let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, these, my children, were dead. And now he is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. This is utterly astounding. One commentator reminds us the love of God is before the repentance and actually causes the repentance. True repentance is caused by the love of God. It's not that the Father loved him because of his repentance. His performance did not elicit the love from the Father. 
See, this kind of love is nothing like we have ever known or even imagined. This love is purely a function of God's own loveliness. Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon on this text, tells us in describing the embrace and kiss of the Father that the original means kissed him much or kissed him often or kissed him fervently or kissed him eagerly. This is a scandal. And I want us to be a scandalous church because we are displaying this kind of love for Lake Oconee. I want the people of Lake Oconee to be shocked and blown away by the love they receive from us. And that will only happen if we're shocked at the love God gives us. This will never happen if we are not consumed and absorbed by the scandalous grace of God. Can you imagine how different we would be if this was the major voice we were hearing? The voice of one saying, you are my beloved, on you my favor rests. How much less fear, how much less suspicion, how much less anxiety, insecurity, defensiveness, how much more love and trust and freedom, real inner freedom, joy, willingness to risk. I want us all to be like Maggie. Wagging our tail, running and jumping with joy. And we need to have the song of the gospel and the dance of the gospel in our hearts. Now, what do we need to experience this kind of love? We need to see Jesus, who is both the true prodigal and the true elder brother. Henry now and again says, I'm touching here the mystery that Jesus himself became the prodigal son for our sake. He left the house of his heavenly father, came to a foreign country, gave away all that he had, and returned through his cross to his father's home. All of this he did, of course, not as a rebellious son, but as the obedient son, sent out to bring home all the lost children of God. And of course, Tim Keller reminds us again so well that Jesus is also our true elder brother. He reminds us that the elder brother in this story, the second lost son, is actually one of Jesus' enemies. We have to notice that, and I didn't print this out, that in the first two parables, Jesus tells us something is lost and there is a search. Where here, there is no search. And Dr. Keller writes, he says, might the older brother have searched for his younger brother on behalf of his father? No. The elder brother represents the Pharisees and scribes who resent Jesus for eating with tax collectors and sinners. See, again, we have to ask if true outcasts and marginalized start coming to the church, will we be resentful? And we need to think hard before we just simply say no. So what does Jesus do here? He has stepped out of the parable and puts in this cardboard figure of the older brother. But Jesus is our truest older brother. He does what the Pharisees and the scribes refused to do. See, look at the text. When verse 31, when the father says to the older brother, all I have is yours. You do realize that's literally true? Because the younger son has already received his share of the inheritance. He has squandered it all already. So everything the father has does belong to the older brother. So if the younger brother is going to get the robe, the ring, the sandals, the fattened calf, all this, 
the only way is through the older brother. The younger son has already taken and spent everything he has a right to. That's why the older brother is so mad when he learns that the younger brother has been given the robe, the ring, and the sandals. He's going, that's my robe. That's my ring. Those are my sandals. What are you doing? The prodigal can only get back into the father's heart through the elder brother, and he is a stingy, bitter, mad, resentful older brother. But you don't. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, for your sakes, he became poor. Now you do realize he is Jesus and becoming poor, first of all, all I have is yours. Who does everything belong to? It belongs to Jesus. Everything that we see is Jesus. And so it says, for our sakes, he became poor so that you through his poverty, you who through giving up everything, sacrificing everything, might become rich. See, Jesus is our true older brother who was literally stripped of his robe and instead given a crown of thorns. He was scourged and afflicted and cursed and mocked and beaten so that we could receive a robe signifying authority, position, Shoes that signify freedom. The only way for us to get them is for Christ to lose them. And he lost them for us. Jesus gave up the love of his father so we could get it. He gave up the father's heart so we could get into the father's heart and never have to worry about losing the father's heart. This is the love we encounter. This is scandalous love. This is extravagant love, and this is the love we are called and commissioned to bring to this beautiful community. This is the love that we are commissioned to display in our words and in our deeds. That's why we say LOPC 2.0 seeks to live out the gospel in word and deed with the hope that God will bring, because we don't bring this, we're powerless to do this, that God will bring renewal, healing, and peace to Lake Oconee and the nations to the glory of God. What we're called to do is focus on the gospel. Live out the gospel in word and deed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this text. Thank you so much for giving us your word. And Lord, I pray that we would commit to one thing, being consumed by the grace of God. Part of that is admitting that we are not always consumed by the grace of God. We're self-righteous, having the courage to be honest. So Father, I pray for that transforming power to come upon us. I pray that you would choose to renew us. Father, now, as we install Mike as our assistant pastor, Holy Spirit, come. Be present at this installation. We pray it for your glory, for your namesake, and in your name. Amen. We have heard the word proclaimed as part of our worship.
and we're going to continue that worship as we install Mike this morning. One of the great joys we have as a congregation is to bring new leadership into our church, and that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. We are going to install the Reverend Michael D. Palumbo as our assistant pastor. A couple of months ago, Mike was examined by our presbytery. Several of us were there to experience that, and I must tell you that he was terribly, terribly impressive in that examination. His knowledge of theology and doctrine and scripture and Presbyterianism was really amazing. And I was, and I was listening to this, I was thinking to myself, what a gift God has brought to us, what a gift God has giving, given us as a congregation. And we, we need to be reminded that it's not by some happenstance or chance event that Mike has joined us here. Mike was ordained and called and chosen to come to LOPC as our assistant pastor. We will soon celebrate something over 25 years, over 25 years of the history of this church. And we've got a strong history and legacy of strong leadership over the years in terms of our pastors and our lay people. And now Mike himself will become part of that history and part of that, <coughs> part of that group over the years in that legacy. So we thank God for that. We know that it is his call. We know that what happens coming forth as Mike leads us and equips us to do the work of, of God, that indeed that will bring honor and glory to our Lord. So with that, Mike, get yourself prepared. You're going to be there a while. And I'll call Bob Patton up to read the questions to Mike. Okay, Mike, three questions. Are you now willing to serve this congregation as their assistant pastor, agreeable to your decoration and accepting its call? By God's grace, I am. Do you conscientiously believe and declare, as far as you know, your own heart, that in taking upon you this charge, you are influenced by sincere desire to promote the glory of God and the good of the church? By God's grace, I do. Do you solemnly promise that by the assistance of the grace of God, you will endeavor faithfully to discharge all the duties of an assistant pastor to this congregation and will be careful to maintain a deportment in all of its respects, becoming a minister of the gospel of Christ, agreeable to your ordination engagements. By God's grace, I do. Russ, you'll charge our congregation. I'm going to read these questions, and if you would, at the end, if you acknowledge them, just raise your right hand at the end, okay? Do you, the people of this congregation, continue to profess your readiness to receive Mike Palumbo from the session that is called to be your assistant pastor? Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love and to submit to him in the due exercise of discipline? Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual edification? Do you engage to continue to him while he is your assistant pastor that competent worldly maintenance which you have promised and to furnish him with whatever you may see needful for the honor of religion and for his comfort among you? If you affirm this, raise your right hand.
Good news, Mike, you get to go from standing to kneeling. <laughs> and I would like to invite the elders of the church, present and past, current session and past elders, to come join us up here. We're going to now lay hands on Mike. I had all of these men pray, you would not get to have cake in a few minutes. So I will do things in a Presbyterian way, in good and decent order, and ask Wes Hunt to start us, and then pass the microphone to Bob Peoples and Bill McCartney, and then I will close us. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful day this is. What a celebration that we have here today. Lord, we know it is by your providential hand that, that Mike is here with us today. We know that it is through the skills that you have given him, the way that you have equipped him for his service to your church and your kingdom. Lord, we have great anticipation to what's going to happen from now on. And Lord, we just thank you for the things that we have in front of us, that we know that the things that we have anticipated in 2.0 are now going to come to fruition. Lord, we just thank you so much for the gift of, of not only Mike, but of Whitney and Ellie. It is so wonderful to see young people in this church. Lord, we just ask you to have blessings on our church, on Mike's work as he equips us in Christ's name. Our Heavenly Father, we rejoice in this time. We come uh, to you with grateful hearts that you have brought this young man to play a role in this congregation. We just pray, Father, that he will first of all seek your counsel in all things and that he would follow it. We pray that you would protect your, put his, your, your protective angels around him, sheltering him from the uh, worldly things that can happen. Uh, Satan is always lurking, and we just pray you would protect him from him and that, uh, that in all of this, Father, the, the church would grow in a way that you would want it to grow and that you would be glorified. Father, we're so excited about your plan for this community, and God, that you give us the dignity and uh, responsibility of coming alongside and working in your plan. And Father, we're so excited for Mike and his family to be here to lead us and to provide vision and, uh, and leadership. Father, we pray for your blessing on him and his family. And as Bob said, for your protection around him. Father, we pray that we as, um, as brothers and sisters in Christ would, be, um, would edify and build up um, our leaders. And uh, God, that we would come alongside and perform our roles and pursue our calling that you've given us. Father, we pray for this community that even now you would go ahead of Mike and Jeff and the rest of the staff to uh, prepare hearts and minds, Lord, to open up opportunities for sharing and relationship and father as uh, jeff mentioned in the sermon help us to be um, overflowing with grace that we've received from our savior and lord let the joy of, our, of your salvation just show in us and father help us to uh, be uh, faithful with that message uh, all these things we pray in christ's name amen the apostle paul said to his protege timothy be strong in the grace 
that is in Christ Jesus. And teach faithful men who will in turn teach faithful men who will in turn teach faithful men. Father, as Mike receives the gospel baton and teaches and encourages and exhorts and edifies, Lord, we pray for a spiritual multiplication movement to emanate from LOPC. We're helpless to do this ourselves. We need to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So I pray for Mike's heart, his devotional life, his passion, his prayer life, his spiritual life, his marriage to Whitney, his fathering, his relationships. And I ask, Father, that you would strengthen him by your grace. I pray for us as we come under his leadership that we would be submissive, supportive, and that we as well would come under your grace. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for how you are moving here at LOPC. We rejoice and give you praise. For yours indeed is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And I now pronounce and declare that Michael Palumbo has been regularly installed assistant pastor of this congregation agreeable to the word of God and according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such he is entitled to all support, encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We give you the right hand of fellowship to take part in this gospel ministry with us, brother. don't get to leave yet. Josh, come on up. Greetings. I'm one of the few people that you may not be readily familiar with. I'm Joshua Garrett from Central Georgia Presbytery. It's part of my responsibility of this commission to charge you. Um, and I'm wearing a bow tie so you know that I mean business. So... <laughs> Um, a charge by its nature is almost all application. Uh, you know, when you preach a good sermon, it's what is true about you in Christ and what to do about it. But a charge is just a lot of what to do. Uh, and so by, it can lean toward legalism if you're not careful. In fact, I, I saw a charge once given to someone where uh, the well-meaning elder told a story about how you are a 24-7 pastor and you must answer every phone call and then told an anecdotal story about a pastor that didn't answer the phone call and then the person committed suicide. It was like really scary. Uh, the pastor came up to me afterwards and said, can I like get a redo on my vows? I don't think I want to be a pastor anymore. Um, but that shouldn't be what a charge is. A charge is calling us to live out of the gospel. In fact, this is my fifth time charging someone. If this were Top Gun, I would be an ace. And... <laughs> But 
after doing five, I've been thinking, there are many things you can say to someone. There's many things you can charge someone with, what to do, make sure you hear it, make sure you go and do these things. But I was thinking about John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So simple. And sheep hear the voice of the good shepherd and they follow him because he knows them. Almost everything I could possibly think to charge you with specifically boils down to the heavenly miracle of Jesus knowing you, of him calling you, you hearing his voice, and you following him. Knowing and following the good shepherd and helping others do the same is why we're here. But what does that practically look like? Well, it can play out in countless ways. But some that have particularly helped me is this. Mike, I charge you, do everything you can to keep what you do on Monday through Saturday consistent with what you do on Sunday. What do I mean by that? If you bring the word of God to people by proclamation on Sunday, then bring the word of God to people by conversation Monday through Saturday. If you pray with your people corporately on Sunday, then pray with them individually and privately the rest of the week. Never forget that it is God, it is Christ that people need. Because so often your people will want to meet with you and what they think they want is an encounter with their pastor. And what they need is an encounter with the living God. So take them to Christ. Take them to God. Never fail to read scripture. Never fail to pray. You need an encounter with God. Which leads me to my next charge. As you walk through the wonder of the hard and heavenly call to shepherding, do not neglect your highest call, which is to be a sheep. Never forget that being a sheep, not a shepherd, is the pinnacle of the Christian life. It's the hardest, it's the highest, it's the most difficult, yet it's the simplest thing to do. Follow after the voice of Jesus, our good shepherd. It'll be fearful at times, and it will produce moments that will almost blind you with joy. You get front row seats to all the dignity and all the depravity. You get to see all of the beauty and brokenness and rebellion of this world. But in the middle of that, never stop listening for Jesus' voice. Learn to hear it over all the other voices. And you know all the other voices. You've heard them. We all hear them every day. There are voices of pride that will make you think you really are something. There are also going to be voices of despair and shame that will make you wonder whether or not you're actually in the kingdom. There are voices of fear that are going to make you avoid difficult texts and difficult conversations and difficult people. <laughs> you may hear them all on the same day. There are going to be voices of ought to and should have. But the Good Shepherd calls us in and through and among and even louder than those voices. And you must learn to hear his voice and follow his voice. Prioritize hearing Jesus as you pray privately, as you meditate on scripture. But also remember that Christ plays in 10,000 places. Lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his, to the Father through the features of these faces. Learn to see Christ, your beautiful Savior, in and through all of these people, and rejoice when you do.
at this point in my life, Mike, I'm not sure which one is better. Hearing his voice and knowing that he knows me and seeing him in all of his radiant splendor or getting to watch my children, getting to watch my wife, getting to watch the people entrusted to my ministry do the same thing. Both are awesome. Chase after both of those. There's nothing else like it. So that's my final charge. Take Christ to these people. Do not preach about Christ. Preach Christ. Do not call people to a system of doctrine. Call them to Christ. Teach the sheep to hear his voice. Teach them to love his voice. Do everything in your power to make Christ as beautiful as he actually is. And then beg God daily to make Christ beautiful to his own people. And here's the good news. He'll do it. He'll do it. And then one last prayer. Pray that he will give you the privilege of seeing it when it happens. Because there's nothing else like it. It's the joy of pastoral ministry. It's my charge to you, brother. Now, this is very dangerous. I'm entreated to give a charge to the congregation. <laughs> that could be fun. I've kind of done that already in the sermon, so here's the good news. I will be very, very brief. Part of me wants to just simply say, congregation, what you just heard Josh say to Mike, go do it. Let's have cake. Because in a way, that is our charge. But I want to give you this charge, and it's kind of just a little twist, and it is, I hope, giving you Christ. Paul gave a prayer for the church. He was praying for the congregation. This particular congregation he was praying for was the one at Ephesus. And he said this. He said that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, we've had a whole sermon on what that looks like. You're rooted in that. You're grounded in that. We do begin with this is who you are in Christ. You're rooted and grounded in love. Now here's his prayer. May I have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Which means we don't, implicit in that prayer is you, why would Paul pray that you'd have strength? Because you don't have strength. You're weak. You don't have strength to comprehend something. Specifically, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, Josh was right. We start with who you are in Christ, and then we give application. So what is the application, LOPC congregation, and how does it relate to Mike as your newly installed assistant pastor? If you are living out of that, rooted and grounded in love, you're growing and comprehending the height and the width and the breadth and the length of the love of Christ, this love that surpasses knowledge. You're growing in that grace. Do you know what that allows you to do? And here's my charge. Give grace to your pastor. The more you receive grace, the more you'll be able to give grace. Now, does that mean we don't expect him to work hard? He's working with me. Of course you know he's going to work hard. 
Does that mean we don't have desires and longings and all of that? Of course we do. But can I tell you something? He's a human being. Let him be human. Let him fail. Let him create messes. Let him be a mess himself. That's the specifics of what it means to give grace. It doesn't mean we overlook sin, but it means we don't fight a culture war. We give grace to each other. And to be honest, what I am charging you to do with Mike, truthfully, I'm charging us to do and be that kind of congregation with each other. Don't let legitimate expectations drive and shape and govern how you relate to Mike, Whitney, Ellie, and, by the way, to each other. God doesn't say, I'll love you when you repent, I'll love you when you perform. God says, I love you, and out of that you repent, and out of that you perform. The more we love Mike and Whitney and Ellie, I guarantee you, the greater his performance will be. But let's get the order right. It's always grace and humanity first, and then performance. And we do have an amazing God. We do have a big God. That's my charge. It's a charge to myself. It's a charge to all of us. Let this young man be human. Let him fall apart. Let him laugh. Let him cry. We're human beings. Friends, we're going to close out our service. And let me remind you, I hope that you all can stay after the service for a brief reception, enjoy cake, enjoy each other. Let's be a family that celebrates. I, always, I said, I don't know if we printed it up in any of our tears, I always wanted us to be a church that parties well. It's kind of what Jesus did, you know? That, that's part, he threw a party for the prodigal. Let's be a church that parties well. Let's stand and sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Well, church, as we go forth from here, we began asking for God's welcoming grace, pleading him to come and to fill us and to move in us and transform us by his grace. And we leave out these doors with God's sending grace because this community needs to hear of this grace. And so as we leave this room, as we go out of those doors, we go like the father and the prodigal story, running after those in Lake Oconee to tell them that God hasn't given up, that he loves them and will be with them and for them through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so if you know this grace, if you trust this grace, then stretch forth your hands to receive this grace. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And may this grace abound all the more so that having all sufficiency, you may abound in every good work through the grace of our Lord and Savior. Amen.